Hello and welcome back to another episode of Cowboys Chat with Shap. My name is Zach Shaporst. With me is Vinny Tadero and Troy Brugger. Uh, for this episode, we're going to kind of continue with our theme of last episode, talking about the running back position of the Cowboys. This week, we're going to talk about the receivers and both kind of the, the players from a team standpoint and also from a fantasy standpoint. We'll also talk about a some actual news that happened this week, the uh, hiring of a strategic analyst, uh, analyst, analyst strategic football analyst um and what that could mean and then we'll jump into the next section of the cowboys game our cowboys schedule picking up where we left off last week so let's start off with uh talking about the receivers um so obviously the big change between this year and last is the trading of for brandon cooks who had previously been on the Houston Texans an interesting player uh, the fact that he's been extremely consistent statistically and yet has been traded now I think four times um, yeah it's, I wonder what the reason for that is yeah yeah it's, it's interesting but um, yeah let's just start off with kind of what what your thoughts are with this new Cowboys receiving core compared to, to last season and, and what your expectations are for for all of them? Me? You, yeah, yeah, I'll start with you then. Well, I can only hope that Michael Gallup fully return, is fully healed and is back to 100% and is back to the old Michael Gallup because he was a very good number two receiver. I don't think he was ever a number one receiver. Uh, at least not a quality one, number one guy. Uh, but he was a very good number two guy. Um, so we can just hope that he's all healed up by now. Um, and then if we extend that thought, we are going to scare ourselves because we're going to think it took Michael Gallup all this time to come back. What about Tony Pollard and Terrence Steele and Jordan Lewis and Anthony Brown? Yeah. Um, well, Brown's but, down the roster, but yeah, definitely the other. Two. I know, but we need to back up outside corner. Don't try to put Kelvin Joseph out there again or Nation. I'm right. You might as well put me out there. Um, the um, Brandon Cooks, I think, was a good pickup because he does give them that added dimension of being able to take the top off of the defense. Uh, Dak is pretty good at throwing the long ball. The offensive line is good at pass protecting and giving him time. And this is going to, this should open up things for CeeDee Lamb uh, underneath and in the middle. Our tight end uh, is really going to be, is really getting a, a gift here, Big Ferguson. So there's no reason for him to not step up unless he's just not any good. Um, and it should keep them from clogging the line and open up lanes for the um, the running backs too. So it, it was definitely something that was a missing piece. And Brandon Cooks is definitely a quality receiver. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, what were what your thoughts, Troy? Zach, I want you to go first. Okay. <laughs> So, so my thing is kind of going off what Vinny said, I, I totally agree with the summation of Michael Gallup. Last year, the way he played was honestly more of like a, a mid-tier number three receiver. 
if not like a high end number four. Like he was, he's one of my favorite draft picks we've ever taken based on the value that we got him. I was a huge fan of his coming out, and he had really exceeded or met my high expectations his whole career until last year. And last year he was just clearly not the same guy. And a lot of it, a lot of the criticism for him was separation, which he never really was a great separator, but he was great at winning at the catch point, making acrobatic catches, which he did occasionally last year. But the, the physicality and the, the failure to work his way back to the ball was the biggest weakness I saw of his. And I think what the Brandon Cooks trade really does is it it kind of reorients the receiving room to where even if he is, like worst case scenario, the way I see it now, even if Michael Gallup is only a number three receiver, or, or maybe he gets a little better and he's like a high-end number three receiver, whereas previously I would have considered him like Vinny said, a, a high end or at least a, a solid number two receiver, it doesn't matter because Brandon Cooks, at his worst, is a very strong number two receiver. And I think CeeDee Lamb last year proved that he is a solid to upper tier number one receiver. So it just takes the pressure off off Michael Gallup and I think the the tight end, whoever ends up getting the majority of the targets in the passing game, which I think will be Ferguson, but it takes the pressure off them. Last year, basically, it was all CeeDee Lamb, and then you had Dalton Schultz and Michael Gallup and Noah Brown, and, and really none of those guys were equipped at the time, at least, to be a, num- a true number two receiving target. And barring injury, I think Brandon Cooks is locked into that role. And beyond that, I think stylistically he works really well with, he should work really well with Dak. He'll take the top off the defense. He can separate, create easy completions, which Dak has, he's clearly missed that since we lost, since we haven't had Amari Cooper. Before and after Amari Cooper, Dak has shown that he does better with receivers like that who can create some separation so i think best case scenario it's one of the best trios in the nfl worst case it'll still be way better than last year and and gives dak no reason to have another poor year that that's well i just want to add this real quick sure Uh, and and that is if C.D. Lamb takes another step in his development, he becomes an elite wideout. Yeah. And and I could I could see C.D. Lamb like taking another step and being better, but not necessarily having as much raw stats, but just being more efficient. There there were just because there you got a Brandon Cooks in there, and if Michael Gallup's healthy and and he's getting more targets, but he was. Not perfect last year. He clearly got better, but he was still not always on the same page with Dak. So if he can just really own in on that and and just he and Dak are always on the same page, even if he's getting a little less target share, 
but he's more efficient. That I think shows that he's taking. They need a number up. four though. They need yeah. depth. Yeah. Yeah. There's no. There's no number four. Um. I love the formation of your wide receivers. Currently, as you have them with with the three. This goes back to lack of depth that we were talking about in the last episode with the running backs and how there's a lack of depth issue going on with uh, the roster construction. But the way that you can go ahead and play this, CD and Brandon Cooks can play inside out. Yep. Uh, Brandon can get deep, and Gallo can get deep to open up stuff underneath for CD Lamb or Cooks, whoever's going to run those drag routes, those cross. Um, so I really like the formation of it by adding a Brandon Cooks. Um and I'm going to go ahead and just talk some ADP real quick on season-long fantasy football uh, on the FFPC, which is the Fantasy Football Player Championships. High stakes. I think it's $500 to go ahead and play live draft in Vegas. This is where the big boys go. Uh, C.D. Lamb is a number 11 overall pick. Okay. Brandon Cooks is 92 overall, 92.8. So he's in the top 100. And then Michael Gallup is left for dead at 199. So if we're talking about some sharp players that put a lot of money on the line, uh, they're they're telling us what their thoughts are already going into the season. And if we zoom over to Sleeper, uh, which is my preferred, um, that's the one I use. App to go I ahead and play fantasy football on. I think it's the most user friendly. Yeah. They have uh, stats and projections up, which I don't want to get too crazy about it, but they have CD at uh, twelve fifty. They got Cooks at eight eighty, and Michael Gallup at six sixty. And these are yards I'm talking about. Mm. Um, hmm. And so the spread. Where I'm trying to go, the spread between Gallup and Cooks is a hundred. 100 uh, picks, but their only uh, spread in fancy football is not that much at all in points. Yeah. So I I think that there's a clear discrepancy where they're expecting Cooks to take a much bigger step than than the projections are currently at. I love Brandon Cooks. I'm from Oregon, so I stayed up late, watched a lot of his football. Um, I think Cooks... I don't see there's any reason why he can't get nearly a thousand yards. He he's played with some very good quarterbacks with Drew Brees, uh, Tom Brady, uh, Jerry Goff. Did I say Drew Brees? Did I say Drew Brees already? Matthew Stafford. Yeah, yeah Matthew Stafford's the other one. And so I don't see why he can't just come in because this is what he's done. He's been traded three or four or five times. I don't see why he can't do and replicate what he's done in the past and step in learn the playbook and run routes so and yeah. win, and win against coverage i mean he's not gonna get the double coverage that's gonna be lamb yeah so one-on-one i think he's gonna go ahead and two-step right past these people um and he's gonna force coverage to roll so i, I really like the pairing and another thing talking about receiving yards i went ahead and look at dak they have them projected for less than four thousand uh passing yards and I found that very curious because uh, the wide receivers, I was doing quick math, and I was like, that's not very many receiving yards, not very many touchdowns. And I think that they're kind of discounting Dak and the Dallas Cowboys in general, their passing attack. I think that they're... I mean, it could be that their view, because this is kind of how I'm seeing it, is that they, they could be viewing 
because of how good our defense is that we're going to be ahead a lot and could be leaning more on the running game than throwing it a lot. Because Dak, he's clearly capable of putting... He came close to 5,000 yards one year. I think in 2021, he was at 4,400, I want to say. So I think at his normal trajectory, I would say like mid-4,000s is probably what I would expect. But... I think if is that just where I'm going with it? He's like the barometer of passing yards is four thousand above or below, and that's like the cutoff point for uh, just being a mediocre quarterback. You get over four thousand yards, and you get over thirty-five touchdowns, and they don't have that as like the uh, as the benchmark median. So I think that they're discounting your offense. And we talked about running the ball last week. It's going to be difficult to run the ball because you don't have a lot of workhorse running backs to go ahead and take twenty carries. And it's all the game away. That is true. Um, oh, you know, another reason for that, the prediction that... You want to save on gear that is, rocks? Are these people taking that Microsoft- Mike McCarthy at his word when he said he wants to run the ball instead of running up the scoreboard like Kellen Moore did? You know, are people believing that? I think that's a lie, but are people believing it? Going, all right, so I love that you brought that up because going back to his time in Green Bay, I think <laughs> I remember... I think I remember they lined up almost all the time at the same three wide set and did not change uh, player personnel. They always lined up. I have to look this up. Maybe this is for next show. But I'm pretty sure they lined up with the same person in the slot, the same person on the left side, and the same person on the right side. And that was a criticism from the past wide receiver corps talking about the alignment of the offense and how it was so predictable. So maybe that's something we revisit. But that would be kind of what you're saying, like taking them as word, and they're going to go ahead and just run the ball more. I think that is probably what's going on here. Yeah, it would definitely be against his typical offense if they, at least his his old offense in Green Bay, if, if they were to go to a much more run-heavy offense. I, I want to jump into... The, the next topic, but just to wrap things up on the receiver end, outside of the, the top three, who I, I think we, we all agree is, is a solid trio, I do think that Jalen Tolbert should be the favorite and has a decent chance to contribute somewhat this year for the as the number four guy. I, last year, I was pretty big into Simi Fahoko. I'm I think I'm... I'm past the point of of him. This is, I think, year three or four for him, and you know. But but here's my reasoning for for Jalen Tolbert. I, I'm not gonna put a whole lot of stock into his, you know, the the buzz in camp because that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. But the fact that he was, and, and I compared him to Michael Gallup g- coming out subconsciously or consciously because he's a small school guy. He was. I thought undervalued and we got him probably around earlier than I thought he deserved to be taken. But the difference is Michael Gallup played against Alabama. He was, he was at Colorado. Was it Colorado state? I think Colorado state, not the same as Alabama A&M where Jalen, like the, the difference in competition it was not apple, apples to apples in Michael Gallup to Jalen Tolbert. And even with Michael Gallup, his rookie season, 
he clearly got better. He didn't do a whole lot early in the year. He clearly got better as the season went on, and it definitely helped when we brought in Amari Cooper to where he didn't have to be the number one guy. Jalen Tolbert, I think there's a good chance that just a year and an offseason in an NFL building, getting used to the playbook, the speed of the game, and not being asked to do a whole lot, relatively speaking. He's going to be the number, the clear number four receiver at best. You know, maybe someone jumps him, but I, I think he, unless he really has, you know, he's not really just not picking up the game, I think based on just a regular trajectory of, a guy coming from a very small school, it would make sense that this is his, he takes a big step up this year. Vinny, you want to go ahead and build off of that? You have any thoughts on Jalen Tolbert? Thoughts on Jalen Tolbert. Jalen Tolbert pissed me off because he made me look bad. I, I liked him coming out in the draft. I thought he was going to have uh, an immediate impact. I didn't think it was going to be huge, but I thought he had an immediate impact. Um, I really don't have an opinion as to whether he's going to be a, a receiver in this league. All I can say is that I hope he is because we invested a third-round draft pick and there's nobody else there. But I wouldn't be surprised to see us um, uh, during uh, training camp, during um, not during training camp, but d- during the preseason or early in the season, um, bringing in somebody from the, some, from the outside, whether it be a free agent or uh, a trade. I don't think Jalen Tolbert has what it takes to be a number four receiver. I think he went to a fake college in South Alabama. I don't think that's a real school. Um, that's a school you go to when you can't make it anywhere else. I, I actually, Oregon, I, there. I, I actually had a mortgage client who went to South Alabama A and M, and I mentioned Jalen Tolbert, and apparently he was like the hero of that campus. So, so I got to push back a little on. Oh, so it's a real place. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a real place. You have a real client. How legit? It's not. It's real. It's, it's not. It's not like Trump University. It's a real thing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um. So Jalen Tolbert, I don't think he has what it takes to play in the NFL. He's 24 and a half years old when the season kicks off. Um. He had every opportunity to play last year. He couldn't get on the field. He couldn't be on the starting 53. And I think what really hurts him is he couldn't even play special teams. They probably would have loved him to play special teams just yeah. so he could be on the roster to go ahead and be the three, four, five mm-hmm. on any given Sunday, and he couldn't do it. So I think that ship sailed. I think sometimes you just got to cut bait and just move on. I, I don't see it happening. His best comparable is an undrafted player that we all famously know on player profiler is Adam Thielen. I think Adam Thielen would be like an absolute <laughs> dream of his. Yeah. He probably has a poster of him in his fucking room and prays to him every night, but I don't think it's happening. Sorry. Not sorry. Oh, lastly, before we move on, I just want to – so are we all in agreement it goes C.D. Lamb, Brandon Cooks, Michael Gallup, or does somebody think Michael Gallup isn't the number two? Doubt it. Yeah, I, I think there's – a better chance that Michael Gallup outproduces Brandon Cooks than Brandon Cooks outproduces CeeDee Lamb. But if I had to get... Just because Gallup, I do think, has very good rapport with Dak. It's just 
his physical, you know, is he physically a hundred percent? That's the only question I have with him. But and I could see Brandon Cooks having a bigger impact than his stat line by just being that that perennial, you know, that that constant threat of you know going off the top. But yeah, if I had to guess, it would be C. Lamb, Cooks, and then Gallup. And then hopefully, told Benny, hey, are you thinking the same thing? Yeah, yeah, I, I, okay. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, and so going back to our time with uh, Amari Cooper and uh, CD Lamb, what I like about it and what gives me hope here for your offense is they that distributes the ball. He's a, he's a point guard. Sure. He'll go ahead and take whatever's given to him, and he won't force it. So. I, I guess that's all I have to go ahead and close out the uh, little section, but I just wanted to know if you guys were thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think he'll spread. You know, I think he'll he'll spread it around. To, but I think he'll you know he'll go with the guy who's who's getting open for him because he, he doesn't seem to like to make those tight window throws. Yeah. Certainly hurt him last year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wanted to talk about a little bit about this new hire the Cowboys made this week. Um, I'm, I'm very, uh, looped into the Dallas Cowboy analytics community and they were very excited about this, the, the hiring of Sarah Malapale and she comes from the Baltimore Ravens and the, from reading up on her a little bit, and, and there's a like a 50 minute a, a video that she was where she was part of this analytics panel, which I haven't seen entirely. I, I probably will at some point, but one of her bigger things, and this kind of goes back to to our conversation last week. She she said that her one of her biggest changes and and I would like to not not on this show but at some point I would like to do a show on changed opinions or, or changed analytical views over time because I certainly have quite a few there, there's a few that I've maintained that that have you know since I learned about them I'm like still pretty much in the same boat I was initially but quite a few have changed and the one that she mentions is the view that basically the running backs don't matter argument she has turned around on where initially she felt you know all running backs just plug in any replacement running back behind a great line i don't don't remember anybody saying that that's a straw man yeah that that's but but her that's what she did believe and now she's turned around to the belief that that Top running backs can make a difference, essentially, which mm-hmm. I think no doubt. it's clearly, yeah, it, it's for her. It, it's she clearly been shown. I'm taking over the whole team. Yeah, I, I think uh, what he was probably referencing or Zach's referencing is the zero RB theory, where you just take a running back and it doesn't matter and you don't need to take a high-end running back yeah like darren be- darren mcfadden in 2015 is is the prime example i think of where where darren mcfadden he had statistically a very good season behind the, the at the time the best o-line in football 
and, and he had he went from I think like a three point one yard per carry to a four point seven. Um, then do we do we then knock Emmett Smith out of the top ten running backs of all time? I think the first of all, I do think it has changed over time, and the fact that Emmett Smith, you had the difference between Derek Lasak, the, the the number of guys that came in and failed to produce even behind that that O line, but no, I I think would it, would it come? I think Ezekiel Elliott was kind of kind of a product of his O-line, more so even than, I would say more so than Tony Pollard has been. Now with Pollard, you you got to factor in that he has not been a, he's not been asked to do the same in terms of workload. But, I don't think you... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, but from a yard, the, the, the stat that I've been really... That that to me is the most important for running the football is how many many yards per carry you're creating after contact, and with okay, the exception yeah, of a guy like enough. Nick Chubb who has been consistently the best in that department, Tony Pollard's as good as anyone in that in that regard. So I wonder if us bringing her in is an indication that we're leaning into into that view and and we're trying to get running backs that do you know create their own yardage to where we're not because i think i think the where, where i'm at right now and this may change over time but where i'm at now is i think there is an interesting debate to what what is the better formula like just solely focusing on Creating an O-line like the Eagles have right now, or the Cowboys had from 2014 to 2016, and just throwing any running back, you know, a, a fourth-round random running back into wow. that, or having like a, you know, obviously you don't want a disaster of an O-line, but like a mid-tier O-line and having a guy like Tony Pollard or Derrick Henry behind uh, that. Uh, all right, a long time ago. I thought about creating a deep, an offense, and maybe this is inspired by John Madden's famous comment that if he had to be, start a football team, the first player he would take would be Larry Allen. You can't defense yeah. a great offensive line. You can blitz right. a quarterback. You can hit him. You can shake him up. Uh, you, can, uh, you can double team a receiver. You can play eight, nine men in a box for a running back. There's really no effective way of defeating a great offensive line they're not going to be great every game uh but they are as good as gold almost as good as gold and so it didn't surprise me that later on it came out that they were saying that you know the success of a lot of these running backs you know and quarterbacks too was dependent on their the the play of the offensive line you know that's where it all begins that's where it, it begins and ends on offense, and that's not to downplay too much the, the skill positions. But I was not at all surprised when I heard them. You know, when I saw all these running backs, these no-name running backs without much pedigree, sometimes coming out and and doing well. You know, as opposed to everybody. You know, it used to be that everybody wanted uh, Emmett Smith or Barry Sanders on their football team. You know, right? And then first-round draft picks. 
Yeah, the Denver Broncos. Tony Dorsett trading up to number what, two? Two, yep. I mean, in the 70s, that was that was kind of what you needed. But yeah, I, I would say early on, kind of the, the short short history of, of this debate was when the Broncos went from Terrell Davis to Orlandis Gary, a thousand yard back. Then they had, I think, Mike Anderson. Then they drafted Clinton Portis. He was a second round pick, but but still, you know, not a not a top ten pick. And and they just continued to churn out thousand yard running backs pretty much for, for like a decade. And and it was different running backs each time. And it was very much a it was the zone blocking scheme. They they had I think the the credit at that time was more so the coaching than necessarily a, an amazing elite offensive line. But I think both play a factor. With with your team, Troy, I, I kind of view the 49ers, ironically, the son of the coach from those Broncos team, Kyle Shanahan, where those Broncos were coached by Mike Shanahan. I view them kind of similarly in their you know, and how they've basically had a great running attack the last few years without necessarily having a great O-line outside of Trent Williams, who's probably the best O-line in football. And I'm curious on your your view in all of this and, and also specifically with Christian McCaffrey, because I think he's another guy that you can argue is, you know, a real difference maker in at the position. So talking about this, uh, <clears throat> you brought up yards after contact. Mm-hmm. I don't like that stat, and I want to invite you to start looking at yards created or juke rate or uh, evaded tackles because I don't want my running backs running that's, to that's contact. Right. I want them to evade the contact. And so, you know, if contact happens, that's one thing. Like an Austin Eckler, uh, Christian McCaffrey – those type of running backs are my ill. Those are the ones I want in fantasy football. I do not want the ones that I deemed last week, and I stole it from Matt Kelly, the pod father over at uh, the Fantasy Underworld Player Profiler, that fucking guy. Well, anyways, the meat shield. Every every team needs a meat sure. shield, and Austin Eckler is inviting other running backs on the team to get more touches. Because he needs to be his best, like Tony Pollard, to go ahead and have those explosive runs. He cannot be that guy that runs the ball up the middle and takes the yards after contact. He's the guy that evades tackles and makes big plays. So for me, that's what I want out of my running backs. And analytically, which we're talking about right now, those are the things I would be looking at. And you can't get dance in the backfield because uh, like Kenneth Walker had one of the worst expected run rates in the NFL last year. And it's an expected points uh, added per run. He's one of the worst. But he had so many explosive plays, it balanced out. But a play-on-play basis, he was a negative expected compared to other people on his team. And that's why some people think they brought in uh, Zach Charbonnet. It's because Zach Charbonnet will get north-south, will be the meat shield, will go ahead and get the yards after contact, and get the three, four yards out the middle, and then let Kenneth Walker go ahead and make the explosive plays that he does so well. 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a fair point. I do think there can be both. The, you can have the missed tackles and the avoiding. That's Nick Chubb. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm actually I'm surprised at how relative. Yeah, I mean, he's still forced, I think, the second most tackles by PFF to Josh Jacobs. Um, but, yeah, whereas Pollard, where does he rank? He's 10th on fewer carries. But, yeah, I mean, that's. No, go ahead, Vinny. I would I, I agree with what Troy said. Um, the only thing I would say is that I think that somebody usually always gets at least a hand on you. So I, I think that um, you know the, the yards after contact is is an important stat. But yeah, elusiveness, wiggle, shouldn't be those types of things. You know, can you get? To, do you have the speed to take the edge? Things mm-hmm. like that. You know, it gets. I mean, we really what, what's that? We remember Trent Richardson, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was a yard after contact king because all he did was run right into you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, did he go down, though? No, yes, he did. Um, but, um, you know, it comes down to something that happened with the Cowboys with that, you know, when, when Jimmy Johnson took over, he had Herschel Walker, who was a pro bowler, but he said, you know, Herschel's a north-to-south guy. That's not what I want. I want somebody who can wiggle, who can juke, who can leave people, you know, coming out of their coming out of their cleats, and that's why he went with Emmett, Emmett Smith, and he made the right decision there. Uh, Herschel Walker didn't have much of a career after he left Dallas. Uh, part of that was because yeah. I think Jimmy could see that he was already starting to wear down, having been that kind of you know powerful north-south guy, which still would speed, but you know north-south breaking tackles. Whereas Jimmy wanted somebody who had wiggle. He felt that was more important, and. Um, you know, so I guess you got to. One thing you have to take into consideration too is lifespan. You know, the the, the, the wiggler is generally going to have who doesn't get touched is generally going to have more of a lifespan than the guy you know who's um, uh, running over people. Although Jerome Bettis played for a long time, Derrick Henry seems like is you know how's he doing? You know. Yeah, I I do think Derrick Henry will wear down in the next couple seasons, but who knows? He's definitely. He's definitely a prime example of one of those running backs who, who you know, in any scenario is going to be successful. That that's those are the few guys out there that I think it is worth paying, uh, you know, a decent chunk of change to. Most most guys I would not give a second contract to. I would just go to a a rookie option. But I, I will say. To me, Ezekiel Elliott is the prime example of what what you're talking about, Troy, with the the meat grinder. E- Ezekiel Elliott, even in his prime, his rookie season, he was never particularly elusive. I think he was more explosive back then and had better straight line speed. If he got to the second level, there was a much higher chance he could take it to the house, but he was also he was a guy that has i think for his entire career not really sh- i mean outside of like hurdling that's kind of his move to avoid contact uh he's not one to really avoid contact he likes to you know run into guys and and he's very good in his to his credit yeah he's very good at fighting for ec- an extra couple yards but I, I and and I don't know where the 
you know, the source of, of juke rate that you, you mentioned as a statistic, but I'd be curious to know Zeke compared to Pollard, because to me, Pollard is far more elusive, and, and the yards after contact per attempt supports that. So I'd be curious to see what the, the juke rate looks at looks like for those two as well. You can just I think you could just watch the running back and get a pretty good idea about how good he is. Yeah. You know. You can. But I, I always like to find if possible, I, I like to find this stat that backs it, it up. So, so <clears throat> player profiler, the juke rate for Tony Pollard is number twenty nine in the in the NFL and the juke rate for Ezekiel Elliott is forty eight. That was, that was uh, a player profiler has them rated. Mm, I would expect so, Pollard to be higher than that. Yes, uh, I would too. Uh, I mean, it's a we could go season over season, dig a little deeper. Evaded tackles, Pollard's number nineteen. Breakaway run rate is number four. Yeah, that's, and breakaway okay. runs, he's number three with seventeen. And mm. if you're looking at Ezekiel Elliott. Um, breakaway run rate, he's number 41, and breakaway runs, number 24. He's just, he's just not getting surprising. down with, the, with all those touches. No. He's yeah. not. I mean, that no. makes sense. And, and, and I, I think with, with the yeah. analytics hope by bringing this uh, person in is that they can go ahead and expand on the Tony Pollards and discard the Ezekiel Elliott's. Because Ezekiel Elliott's, yeah. when they see contact and when they – do get hit and they're readily available to get hit they're more injury prone they're more acceptable to injuries right. i don't want to say injury prone they're more acceptable to injuries and you want players that are going to be able to make big runs that's how you win football games you don't win it in three or four yard increments you win it in 10 or 20 i mean look at patrick mahomes and tyree kill in the past they were just throwing it down the field man that's how you make big points and i know fantasy football that's great but you want big explosive plays to go ahead and turn the field. Yeah, that that's I think that's one of the big kind of shifts in anal, in the analytics community has been the value of being able to and and those two metrics you mentioned the breakaway run rate and the breakaway runs that's what Pollard is so good at and and that's truly valuable in today's NFL because I, I think that this is probably the biggest difference in today's NFL versus 20, 30 years ago. 22 year, 23 years ago, you had Eddie George who had a season with 400 carries and like 1,500 yards, and that was considered a great season, 3.7 yards per carry. Today, that would be, you know, you'd be run off the field by week eight you'd be putting in someone else like you just can't win. yeah right right you just can't win with that lack of efficiency because of how good the passing game is now and, and i think the the one thing that i'm still kind of up in the air about is i i do think there is a a hard to quantify value of running the ball effectively to make things easy beyond the fact that it's setting up the play action pass which which i've heard that statistically there's not a big difference between play action efficiency when the running game's working versus not but i i do think there is 
there is something to feeling like you're you're on track when you're at in like a second and six or second and five versus second and, and nine. But really the, the quantifiable parts of the running game that have clearly shown to be important are that breakaway run weight, the ability to kind of create your own yardage and potentially explosive plays and and that's where yeah where pollard is that's why C. Elliott doesn't have a job exactly exactly um and, and i will say just yeah. looking at this uh i think you've you finally won me over with pro fo- player profiler troy that this is is pretty cool the uh like the what is it average defenders in the box like Yes, yes. Now you're seeing it. I'm, now I'm, I'm glad you're visiting it, and I reference it every show. Yeah, you I know. Look at it and you're like, some of these analytical uh, data points that they have here are just on this website. NFL teams use it, and when you start breaking down uh, certain players, like uh, the expected points added, EPA, Ezekiel Elliott's 124, 124 best running back in the nfl that is that is the that's really bad good. guys it's yeah. really bad it's not what you want yeah no and so like when you're designing an offense well, go ahead Vinny. go ahead no well i was just gonna say that just shows what a golden opportunity the cowboys have right now if they could bring in another running back both to help out tony pollard assuming he's healthy and also as a uh, somebody to help him out if he if he is healthy, somebody who's better than Ezekiel Elliott. Yep. Then they they stand a chance of being substantially better as a running team. I was just so that's why I don't that. understand why they, they didn't take anybody in the draft. Yeah. No running back, no quarterback. I thought they were you know they they gave every indication of of doing that. Instead, we got a lot of no names. And the draft had a lot of big bigger body. Get the small yardage running backs. They could have came in here on a rookie deal. I'm right there with you, Vinny. Uh, talking about designing an offense, though, um, I'm still waiting for the NFL's version of the Golden State Warriors, where you're just throwing, uh, just throwing the ball the whole game, and just. Talk, I know the NFL is slow to change. I know we're lingering on this topic, but I'm waiting for it because Patrick Mahomes does not need to hand the ball off at all. And he can go ahead and do play action or whatever the heck he wants to do and just go Golden State Warriors and drop back a thousand times. I mean, I wouldn't have taken the ball out of his hands. I wouldn't take the ball out of Steph Curry's hands. Just let him go cook. I think, well, I mean, the, the Patriots have already kind of done that. I, that. I remember when they played the, um, and this was, you know, 10 years ago or so, when they would play the Jets, who had one of the best run defenses. And they would just, like, 25 passes straight to start the game with, with Brady. Like, I think if you have that elite quarterback, you, you can do that. There is, I think, an advantage, though. Even the best quarterbacks in the league completing, you know, 70% of their passes, there's going to be some incompletions in there. And if you're leading, I think that's when you do want to run the ball. And and that's where the, the you know, the worst arguments made come in where oh you know the cowboys are 30 and and zero when ezekiel elliott gets this many carries or rushed for this many yards it's because the game script it's not because it's not causation it's the correlation because you're winning the game but that said i do think there is there is value in that 
when you're trying to run out the clock. Part of the reason the Cowboys used the first-round draft pick on Macy Smith is because at least five of their losses last year came when they gave up more than 150 yards on the ground. There definitely seemed to be a correlation between them not being able to stop the run and them winning the football game. So, you know, that being but, that's a, another argument, obviously, for them to have taken Macy Smith in the first round. Um, I had wanted them originally to take a defensive tackle in the first round. My first mock draft had them going, but I always said it's it's ideal. You know, I start off with an ideal of you know who I want in which round based on what I feel is the higher need, uh, and then I eventually took defensive tackle out of the first round. I didn't think there would be anybody worth taking at that point. Cowboys felt Maisie Smith was worth taking. You know, we'll see. You know, I I kind of like him, but I'm not completely yeah. sold on him. Well, but it fills a need. Certainly fills a need. Yeah, I I will say looking at the games last year, I mean the Bucks. We definitely, I, I think a few of those games, the the two that come to mind, the Packers and the Jaguars. We were beating both of them for most of the game. So the fact that they were still able to run for a hundred yards, to me, that's more of a indicator that we. That, that it was a real problem. And from what I remember, it was really the Jaguars that were kind of... Actually, I think both of them kind of gashed us like from a very very efficient way. The, the Eagles, I think, and the Bucks, I they both definitely got over 100 yards against us, but I think that was more of a game flow type of thing than just us playing terrible defense. Like both of those games, they were winning... You, you don't want to give up more than about 90 yards a game on the, uh, uh, running the ball because a, a team can just kill you that way. Tire out your defense, demoralize you, you know, safe plays. you you, you got to be able to stop the run. And, you know, I'm a little surprised that teams didn't run the ball more than they did. I, I think part I of it is – I think go for it, Zach. Uh, I think I, just part of it is because we were winning – most of the time. And and again, I think the Packers and Jaguars were kind of the exceptions where they were, both of them, I think, were down by multiple scores pretty late in the game and they stuck with the run. And that was a part of why they came back because they were both very effective running the ball, very efficient. And that was our, uh, our downfall. Part of that, part of the reason for that efficiency was we didn't have linebackers who could set the edge worth the dam, and the defensive ends weren't doing it so well either. So that's a spot that uh, these guys just have to get better at because we don't have anybody new at those positions really. You know, we have a third round rookie, we have a, you know uh, a fourth round rookie, um, but you know how much how much are they going to add? Yeah, because teams ran the ball go. outside. So like when it comes to run defense. I think that that's really an attitude and a statement on defense or offense is down in the trenches. That's where you really go ahead and show the the attitude of your defense, the personality. I know if I was on defense and I was a defensive coordinator or something like that, that is a statement area where you just you're not going to fucking let them run the ball. Yeah, you're just not going to let them. You're not going to let them set the edge. You know, you you can see the play development, and it's fun to go ahead and get picks and pick sixes and play pass defense. That that's fun, but I think 
just came up with this concept myself, just played a lot of sports growing up, talking about fourth quarters and giving up runs, and you're still, like, you're ahead in the game and you're giving up running plays, that's unacceptable. It's just absolutely unacceptable. It, it is, and that's and that's what they were doing, you know, and it was, there was plenty of blame to, to go around. It was the defensive tackles. Guys like Neville Gallimore, who's terrible at the run, yeah. you know, our, our linebackers weren't getting the job done. Our defensive ends, you know, weren't weren't getting the job done. So, in addition to adding Macy Smith, they gotta gotta get get improvement out of the outside linebackers. I I think Damon Clark is gonna help because I yeah. think he's gonna be better than Anthony Barr was against the run. Definitely, and and I still think Jabril Cox. So, sort of like with Jalen Tolbert, a guy that I really liked coming out, and, and there hasn't been any great indication that he's, you know, just a bad player or he totally got it wrong. He just hasn't really had a chance. So I, I'm not going to bank on him completely, but I think there's a chance we'll uh, we'll see a little more out of him this year. But um, well, they're blaming it now on injury. That's man, that's that's a good, good excuse. <laughs> um, if he's healthy, then then let's see what he's got this year. Um, so I wanted to let's jump into the um, into the schedule real quick. So we have I think we're, we've gone through eight games and we're coming up on the first repeat, which we didn't. This will be the first time. Troy has talked about this, so I'll, I'll be curious your take. But I think through eight games, Vinny has us at four and four. I've got us at five and three. The next one up is the Cowboys and the New York Giants. This one is in Dallas after we have had played them on the road. Um, what are what are your thoughts of the Giants, Troy? And and how do you think the Cowboys would? Um, stand up against them. I was listening to a couple podcasts <clears throat> this week and they were saying the Giants are not quite a playoff contender. Um, and they were saying Dallas is. <clears throat> and talking last week, I was uh, I was to the horn for the Giants quite a bit. And it really comes down to Gable, uh, Dable, the head coach for the Giants. Uh, Huge fan of his. I was yeah. not a fan last year. I think social media and like uh, the coaching hire and how he came into the facility with the truck and they did the whole shebang. I was like, this is not it's not the type of culture I'd want to go ahead and be having, but maybe it's the Giants media team. They were trying to gas it up and trying to make a big deal out of it. I don't know. But initially last year I was not a fan of the hire just because of the way they went ahead and ran the social media and the PR side of things. I get it. It's New York. I know Eddie Rivera. He's all about his Giants. I lost a lot of money the year the Giants beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl because the Giants got hot at the end of the season. I just kept on giving my money to Eddie. So he scarred me for life on betting. But I back to the Giants, I really uh, – I'm a fan. I'm in. I saw – I was a hater, like I said, at the start of last season, so I watched them a lot. And they progressively got better. Daniel Jones, I thought, was uh, had some of the worst pocket awareness in the NFL. He was a sack fumble machine. And 
all of that got turned around last year. So I was I had to take a step back halfway through the season to start reevaluating what I thought of the Giants. And I don't think that they have all the pieces in place right now. But they're going in a direction where they're going to start challenging for this division. Not the Eagles, but they're going to be challenging the Cowboys. I really believe so. Because I don't know if the Cowboys have the right head coach. I don't know if they have the right depth at running back and wide receiver. I don't know if they're going in the right direction with their offensive line. So I, I just see a lot of opportunities for the Giants to step in here and start challenging for that spot when they honestly shouldn't even be in the conversation. Yeah, I, I will say I, I definitely think that the Giants have the better head coach. I, I think very highly of, of Brian Dable. And I totally missed the his entrance to the to the team, but I know how quickly Josh Allen progressed under his offense. And the fact that they he turned that team into an eight win team somehow was I mean pretty remarkable and and what I said that when we did the first show talking about the first Cowboys Giants matchup and I I feel pretty strongly about this the Giants to me remind me of the 2019 or (laughs) remind me of how I feared the 2019 Dallas Cowboys would be and and which I was unfortunately correct where, at, where the 2018 Dallas Cowboys went 10-6, won a playoff game, and then lost to the Rams. But they won in an unsustainable way. They won, I think they went 8-2 in one-score games that year. And and this is one, I'll, I'll kind of uh, spoil my, my future idea for a show where I talk about analytical trends that I've come around towards or or certain ones that I've stayed with the one team's performance in one score games that is a analytical trend that I have followed for many years and I still feel very strongly about and and basically it's just that unless the unless the fundamentals of the team are like dramatically different and and the point the example that's a perfect one is the 20 12 or no 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 sorry the 2011 Denver Broncos went like 7 and 1 in one score games and the next year but, but they had Tim Tebow at quarterback the next year they had Peyton Manning and they won 13 games cuz you're going from the worst quarterback to the best but outside of something dramatic like that if you're going to have a bunch of close score games one year you're gonna it's gonna regress to the mean and you're talking about the minnesota vikings from 2022 the minnesota vikings and the new york giants both of them will regress to the mean and and i think the new york giants specifically because the minnesota vikings i think got worse this offseason the new york giants got better i will say but just like i felt with the 2019 cowboys where i thought this is a better team but I think we're just going to have we're going to regress to the mean in one score games. We went one in seven in one score games the next year, and even though we had a better team, I felt we went eight and eight. I, I could see this New York Giants team winning eight or maybe maybe nine games, 
with a better team and with a you know looking at like the point differential i think they'll be much better i think they are a better team but i don't think the record is necessarily going to reflect that majorly because of how they won last year i i think the giants are very much a, a, a true elite number one receiver away from being in the real contender conversation. Because that's when, to me, that's when the rubber hits the road for Daniel Jones. They've already paid him like they think he's capable of being, you know, whatever tier you want to call, you know, a top quarterback. I don't know if he is. I, I think... But but you also you can never you can't say that he's ever had a really great situation. He's never had a good O line. He's never really had a true number one receiver. So true. They got him a tight end though. They did get him a tight end. They'll have better receivers. They got him Jalen Hyatt and and maybe who knows maybe Jalen Hyatt has a great season. But um, I think most likely not. Most likely not. They're most likely still going to be with a team with a tight end who, if healthy, is an elite receiving tight end, no question, but has not been healthy for the past few years, and a bunch of receivers that really should be number twos and number threes, and, and like, not even high-end number. Like, Michael Gallup, if healthy, is the number one receiver on that team. So that's that's how I view the Giants. I, I think because... Isaiah Hodgins is better than Michael Gallup. At at his peak, I think Gallup is better. (laughs) I think Gallup last year, Hodgins was better than Gallup last year, for sure. But, no, I I mean, I I could definitely see the Giants stealing one of these games because I do think so highly of of Brian Dable. And like I said, I do think they'll be a fundamentally better team next year. But I think, I feel very strongly that we'll we'll end up with more wins than they do. And I think we should win both games. I think we'll be favored in both games. So with this one being at home, I, I would feel even yeah. more confident I'll, I'll take, that one. I'll take the Giants here. Oh okay. So you are, what do you so think? We're taking the Giants. I, and I just going... want to say this real quick before, Vinny, you go. Uh, talking about Daniel Jones and his contract, it's really a two-year contract because year three, 2025, mm. he can get cut – It'd be $18 million in dead money, but savings oh, of 21. But year four, 2026, he's going to be a dead cap of nine and a savings of almost 50. And that's the only year where his base salary is $46 million. Every other year is $9.5 million, $35 million, $30 million. So he's not really getting paid that much money. Yeah. And, and for a quarterback, $18 million in dead cap is like nothing. That that that's what da- Dak's dead cap would be when we get into the the void years, which are are not even actual years on his contract. So yeah, that's a pretty favorable. I mean, basically, you're paying him a lot of money for sure his second year of the contract, and that's really really it. Yeah, I don't think the Giants did enough this offseason, especially at the wide receiver position, to you know, position themselves as a, you know, 11 or 12 win team. Yeah. You know, I think they'll be around a nine, nine win team. I agree. Uh, let, let's... You know, and I'm always, confused. I'm always confused when teams do that though, because the opportunity is clearly there. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, why would you not bring in quality wide receivers? If you're looking to go ahead and make the next they, step, they I mean, always throw talent. 
there are a lot of coaches and yeah. out there who think they can make, they can polish a turd. That, that they is over, true. They, they either overrate what they have, which is what the Dallas Cowboys do, or they think they can polish a turd. I just don't know what, what turd they're polishing there over in the Giants. <laughs> yeah, whoever, that, whoever they had called, they're calling a receiver. They let the one guy go, and he seemed like he was pretty good. Tony. Kadarius Tony, yeah. Yeah. I think he's a headache in the locker room. I Some people can't manage those personalities, and then they get uh, black sheep, and then they just get moved. I have a good friend where that happened to, and he was a wrestler. There's a lot of negativity about him, but he was a great guy, but he's had a big personality. Well, I'll tell you what, though. If they don't get some receivers for Daniel Jones and some protection, he's going to be hurt. He can't keep running the ball like he is. Yeah, I agree with that. And and I think they will have a better O-line. That They got my boy, John Michael Schmitz, who I <laughs> you love him. fucking wanted he so bad. But, uh, yeah, I, I think they'll be they're, – they'll – they're slowly becoming like at least a semi-competent O-line. They got Andrew Jones or Andrew Thomas, who's one of the best left tackles in football, I think, now at this point. And I think Schmitz will be immediately better than anyone they've had in years at that position. So, who's but it's next? just receiver. Who's up next? So yeah, let, let's wrap up with this one. So we've got the the Panthers. This one is oh. in Carolina. Oh, that's an easy one. <laughs> I I would I would have to agree. I, I do think the Panthers will be better this year for sure with Bryce Young. And, 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 but so, but the Panthers we'll just cut to the case. Yeah, we all ahead. we all are gonna say the Cowboys are gonna beat the Panthers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sure. So let, let's spend the conversation then and then go in interdivision. Do you think the Panthers are the best team in that division? With the Saints, with uh, Tampa Bay, and who's the other team I can't think of right, right now? The Falcons. The, the Falcons. I think you got a dogfight. Yeah, that that is a bad division. That might be the worst division in football. I, I would have to, at this point, go with the Saints to be the favorite of that division. Now, I will say, I'll say this about the Panthers. Similar to the to how I feel about the Giants, I think they are, they need, and it's ironic because they trade they had one and they traded him. Uh, they need a, a true number one receiver. They've got Adam Thielen, they've got Terrence Marshall, they brought in another guy whose name is escaping me, but they've got a bunch of number twos and number threes. Who are you saying, Thielen? Thielen, I, I saying remembered, but there's. But they, 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 they drafted Mingo, and and honestly, he might be—he's the one that has, I think, at least the potential to be a number one receiver. It's just unlikely it's going to be his rookie year. But I do think the Panthers, long term, have a very good chance at owning that division. But I don't see it for this first year because they just don't have any real number one receiver it wouldn't shock me if they were if they did win that division you know with like a nine win season like i don't think it's gonna take a whole lot but i i would give it to the saints right now just because i think Derek carr is it should be the best quarterback in that division i mean if, if desmond ritter if he really takes a step up i think the falcons are 
kind of a sneaky team because they got a lot better on defense and their offense was really good last year with Marcus Mariota not even playing particularly well at quarterback. So, but but Desmond Rizzer is just a complete unknown. He's like Jordan Love or, you know, Sam Howell. So you just have no idea what you're going to get out of him. Talking about Jordan Love, did you see his posts on uh, Twitter saying no. Happy Father's Day to the Chicago Bear fans, which implies that they're his daddy? No. Yes, that that actually happened. Jordan Love got on Twitter, said Happy Father's Day to Chicago Bears, and the Chicago Bears are like, "What? We're your daddy? You yeah, we know yourself? we are." So it's not going to go well for Jordan Love and Packers, Packers land and that team. I think uh, Carolina is uh, fighting for the top spot. Same with Atlanta and uh, the Saints. It's funny Tampa how sucks. the mighty have fallen so quickly in Tampa yeah. Bay. Yeah. That that's going to be a toss-up division, but they're going old-school football in this division, which I'm here for. They're going to play defense. Carolina got a good defense. The yep. Falcons got a good defense. Yep. The Saints You're are right. going to be organized on defense, and they're going to run the ball. Nobody's going to go ahead and out-duel and throw for 500 yards in a game. It's not going to get crazy like that. They're going to run the ball 30 times, right. and they're going to play defense. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. So I think we're uh, now sitting at – I've got us at 7-3, and three, and you've got us at 5-5 five and five at this point, Vinny. So um, – I got us at 5-5? Five and five? I thought I had us at 4-4. Four and four. <laughs> You had us yeah, at 4-4, four and four, and then you, you had us losing to the Giants – no, no, Panthers. I had us winning to the Giants. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Sorry, I misheard that. So six and four, seven and three for me. So, um, yeah, you know, pretty, pretty uh, typical of the one last few. We're going to talk about, or is that the that is uh, the gameplay? Yeah, let, let's do one more. This is another divisional foe, the one that we haven't played yet. So the Commanders, and this is, I believe, Thanksgiving. Right. Yeah. take it away. You had a big sigh. I heard it. Tell me what. Oh, I'm just so tired of their names. Now <laughs> they said they can't use the commanders. You know, I, I, I'm just sick of it. I mean, you know, just call them what they are, the team that never wins <laughs> the division, you know? I mean, oh, God, no, I'm going to take the Cowboys. Yeah. Who's the quarterback in Washington now? Me? Sam, Sam Howell. <laughs> Sam oh, Howell, well, it, might as well be me. Yeah, but they they did bring in Jacoby Brissett, and and I could see him taking over if, if Sam Howell doesn't do well. But you know what's going to be funny to watch is to watch them not get the return on Deron Payne. Yeah, that was a terrible that was a terrible sign, and the fact that they then chose not to pick up Chase Young's fifth year option. Is like okay, you're clearly prioritizing so the that, wrong guys. <laughs> but that that just comes down to organizational dysfunction. Yeah, that's 100%. what that comes down to because they don't have the right owner in place, they don't have the right management in place, they don't have the right head coach in place. The head coach is going to be fired. Uh, what is it? it's uh, they brought in Ron Rivera? Yeah, Ron Rivera. Ron, Ron Rivera is a dead man walking right now, and this is what <laughs> happens when you get new regimes. They'll come in and analyze for a year or two. 
and they'll figure out who they want to keep and who they want to get rid of. So this team, this whole team's in flux. I'm a stand for Sam Howell. I thought he was the best quarterback coming out of last year's draft yeah. prior to the the way that the season went in college. And I still was – I thought he played just fine throughout the season, and then he ended up not getting drafted for several rounds. Yeah. And so I am, I'm a fan of Sam Howell. I am here for the story because I still believe that he was the best quarterback coming out of last year's class. A lot of people um, did. going to go ahead and offer a good foundation, though, so if Sam Howell is not good, Percent will be acceptable. Yeah. They have yeah. good wide receivers there, too. They yeah. got McLaren, uh, McLaurin. They have Dotson. I've heard a lot of hate about uh, Dotson, and I don't understand it. Especially for Matt Kelly and the Podfather, he's been he's been just spiking on him. And I'm like Johan Dotson, all he did was get Garner targets, and targets are earned, mm-hmm. and score touchdowns. I don't know what I don't know what else you want from the kid. Yeah, and he had a, he had a very productive rookie season, and and a lot of people didn't like him. Oh, okay, that was for some reason I thought he did a little more than that, but. A lot of people thought he was overdrafted. He was injured, and so like when he he was injured, he he obviously didn't play. But when he played, he scored almost a touchdown a game. Yeah, I I think it's the combination. I wasn't wasn't big on Jahan Dodson coming out his rookie year, and I thought it was very questionable that Washington football team took him when they took him, and I did not draft him in any rookie drafts. But I'll tell you. I've tried trading for him in every dynasty league, and I, the the price you gotta pay is way more than you'd want to pay. It's more than what he was drafted as a rookie. I mean, like a one one eight, a one nine, first round draft. And I, you can't get him. Like you have to give him first round draft pick. I tried giving two twos or a two and a three. It just isn't happening, and so I don't don't know. Yeah. No, I, I think he's a good complimentary receiver at the very least, and, and I think he has the potential to be be more than that. But, yeah, it's all going to come down to the quarterback for Washington. I think their O-line is still pretty good. Their defense, they um, – now, they who did they draft? They drafted Emmanuel Forbes over Christian Gonzalez, which I feel like that could come back to bite them. I mean, their D-line, you know, say what you want about Deron Payne, but their D-line is still stacked. There's no question about that. That's the strength of their team. That's what they've invested in. Their secondary, I just don't think any other part of their team, maybe receiver, I don't think any other part of their team besides their D-line is, like, is scary to me. And, And Terry McLaurin, you know, very solid receiver, but... Trayvon Diggs has kind of owned him for, for the past couple years. So for us specifically, I just don't, as long as we don't like completely uh, put up a turd of a performance at quarterback like we did against them in the last game of the season, I think we should we should beat them, especially at home, which the Thanksgiving game obviously is since all Thanksgiving games well, All right, home for us. So talking to talking to Redskins, do you guys have any interest in the 
the battle between Gibson and Robinson? Are you guys Robinson guys? Or are you guys Gibson guys? What are your thoughts on that? Don't know anything about him. I mm. Gibson's a guy that I've I've picked up a few times in fantasy, and he always seems to kind of overperform what he's expected. I but I can't say I have a real strong feeling one way or the other. I I think Gibson, it seems like he's more of a receiving threat. So I would imagine they'll kind of rotate both of them in. I, I don't I don't see the the need to really have one as the workhorse and the other, you know, just takes a seat. I, I think they'll try to work both of them in, and, and I think both of them are solid, but n- neither of them would fall in into the category of running backs who who break the formula, who, who clearly are difference makers regardless of the situation around them. We'll just put it that way. Okay, okay. I I have a. I'm gonna. I strongly disagree on breaking the formula because Gibson is that guy. But the the Redskins or Washington Football Team will not use him in that way. Brian Robinson. Uh, Brian Robinson. He got shot on the leg prior to the season, and still right. they gave him the ball way more than Gibson down the stretch. And Gibson's the spark athlete. He's what. 6'2", 220, he's a receiver at college, he's caught like 40 balls a year, and they just Mm -hmm. refuse to make him the workhorse, which will never make sense to me. And then they draft Brian Robinson, which is a slow version of, he's just a plotting running back, he's like Ezekiel Elliott, and they prefer Mm -hmm. to go that route, which I don't know, we'll see how it plays out, they're not throwing the ball to Brian Robinson. Right. But they refuse to give Gibson the ball, so I, I don't know. It's a it's an organizational. Uh, this just shines a light on how dysfunctional this organization is. Yeah, I mean, neither of them is was particularly efficient running the ball last year, but Gibson clearly the better receiver. Um. Yeah, but uh. Well, yeah, I think that'll. So, so who are you? Uh, who are you guys picking in Cowboys versus Washington? Cowboys. Yeah. Easily Cowboys. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think that'll. Uh, so, I, I think I've got us at eight and three after or going into or after Thanksgiving. Benny's got us seven and four. Um, so. I think that'll uh, that'll do it for this week, but uh, but we will be back next week to talk some more about the schedule and, and probably break down another position group or if there's any news, break that down as well. But uh, thanks all for tuning into this one, and we'll see you next time.